I invite you to take open, take your pew Bibles and open to Luke chapter 24. You're going to find the passage that we're considering this morning on page 1052. So this week uh, on the church calendar, Thursday is Ascension Day. We're going to be recognizing that this morning. It will have been uh, 40 days since the resurrection, the amount of time that Jesus was with uh, the disciples and with his people before his ascension. But to set the stage for our text, we're going to be looking at verses 50 and th- uh, 53. I am going to read from verses thir- uh, verse 36. Um, obviously, this is a post-resurrection uh, context after Jesus has revealed himself to a couple of men on the road to Emmaus, revealing himself to them as the fulfillments of all of Scripture. And these men, in turn, after Jesus departed from them, went on to go and share this news with the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is no longer with them, having uh, died. And as these 11 disciples are with each other, in comes Jesus as they were talking about these things. This is Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. Hear now the word of the Lord. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and we're continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Help us to see Jesus in all of his fullness. As he opened the minds of his disciples 2,000 years ago to the things concerning himself and his work, Lord, by your spirit, may you do the same here today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a lot going on in these last verses of Luke's gospel, a wide range of emotions 
uh, to be sure that this must have been on full display uh, with the disciples. You can only imagine what it must have been like to be there in that room uh, with them through all of these uh, events. Just consider Jesus' comforting appearance, as, as startling even though as it may have been, you know, all of a sudden Jesus is there <laughs> uh, with his call to touch his resurrected body. The disciples being startled and frightened, of course. After all, this was a dead man come back to life after three days. And they they continued to disbelieve, far too marveled to believe what was before them. Christ uh, also then revealing that all that has taken place is according to God's promise. Like he said, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that all of these things must be fulfilled. All of Scripture is about Jesus. It is Christ-centered. And he opened their minds to understand such things. Why? That they may then be commissioned to spread this good news to the nations beginning in Jerusalem. But first, they need to wait. They need to wait for the Spirit who is going to give them power from on high to carry out this task, what we know as the Great Commission. The disciples were disbelieving and frightened. And yet there was Christ. The background of the ascension, what we're going to look at this morning, the background of Christ's ascension in Luke's gospel, despite the little faith, that his people have, and the accompanying fright and fear is the entrance of the God-man who says, peace to you. How comforting is that? He knew his disciples' weaknesses at this very moment, and he addresses them head-on with peace to you. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes today, Uh, We are very much like the disciples, disbelieving, uh, frightened, perhaps doubting even Christ's presence by his spirit, falling into um, despair. We're caught up with uh, various conflicts, grievances, sadnesses in our lives today, uh, whether it's uh, inner turmoil within our hearts and our minds, that very place where anxiety and doubts love to make their nest Uh, or besetting besetting sins uh, whose talons dig deeper into our flesh of our hearts, making it feel like stone. Today, this may be you. But today, there is also a Christ who has ascended, reigning victorious at the right hand of the Father. And today, he knows your weaknesses. And his words to the disciples are words for you. Peace be to you. And it's in Christ's final act to his disciples, as, as Luke describes for it here, that brings us very great comfort and stirs within us a zeal for the presence of Christ and to congregate and worship him alongside others. So that's our theme that we're going to be considering this morning. We'll look at how uh, this, the resurrected, blessing-given Son of God ascends victorious into heaven, which then leads to proper worship and hope. So in two points, we'll consider uh, the blessing that Christ gives during the ascension, and then what that ultimately leads to, 
What is our response to the ascension? Let's consider the blessing that we read in verses 50 through 51. Now, what we don't see here in Luke, uh, but what he does make reference to in his other work, which is Acts, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, of course, and then the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, what we don't see here in Luke is, is this interim of 40 days, 40 days with the risen Lord before his ascension into heaven. Uh, Luke mentions in Acts that in these 40 days, what did Jesus do? He spoke about the kingdom, this present, spiritually directed reign of God gradually transforming individuals and their lives which would especially be made known by the gift of the Holy Spirit, enabling the disciples to do this work. And that's not going to happen until Pentecost. Um, but Jesus is ministering to these men for 40 days after his resurrection, teaching them these things uh, before leading them out to as far as Bethany. Bethany is an important location in Jesus' ministry. It was only two miles from Jerusalem, not far at all. Uh, Bethany was where Mary and Martha, uh, sisters, were from. Mary was the one who anointed Jesus with very expensive perfume to uh, express her devotion to him. Uh, Bethany is also where Lazarus was from. Lazarus is the brother to Mary and Martha, where he was raised from the dead by Christ himself. While visiting Jerusalem, uh, Jesus often stayed at Bethany, kind of like a... Um, a special place of operations for him, you could say, a home base or something like that. It's located on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives, uh, the famous location where Christ spoke of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming. So there's a lot, of, a lot of theological import that goes into this very specific location, and it's where Christ's ascension into heaven is going to take place. So no doubt, as the disciples are making their way to Bethany with Jesus, all of these various important events that have taken place there uh, were probably, perhaps, in their minds, uh, anticipating what, what other glorious event was to take place at this time. This is the place where the feet of our Lord would stand for the last time on this planet before his return. And what does he do? Look at our text. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This word blessed is very special. Greek dictionaries will describe it like uh, to thank or to invoke a benediction upon somebody. You'll notice that at the end of church services, uh, when Pastor John would preach, as an ordained, commissioned pastor, he was qualified to raise his hands and um, bestow upon us as a congregation a blessing. We call that a benediction. This always happened at the end of the worship service. Look up the standard definition of benediction online, and it'll say something like the, the form of blessing pronounced by an officiating minister as at the close of divine service. One theologian writes that a benediction adds a note of solemnity and closure to the proceedings. 
and is often given to close significant occasions. Jesus' first words in Luke's gospel to his disciples after his resurrection was peace to you. And his teaching of the kingdom lasted for 40 days and later came a benediction. Imagine a sermon that long, (laughs) 40 days. We can think of perhaps the most well-known of the benedictions in all of Scripture, what we know as the Aaronic blessing found in Numbers 6, 24 through 26, where we read, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What a comforting blessing that is. What makes Christ's words even more interesting is the fact that while he departs from them, he is still blessing the disciples. Christ is no mere creature whose words just remain here on earth and disappear. No, they're with him as he ascends. And the power of his word is with him even still today while he reigns victorious in heaven. Now, the actual words of Christ's benediction or blessing are not disclosed to us here in our text, but with Jesus' final words on earth as a blessing, what he is doing is commending his disciples into God's care. Even as Christ ascends, God is watching over his beloved children, and Christ's blessing indicates as much. We're reminded of those words in Matthew's account of the Great Commission, where Jesus ends by saying, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, this blessing that Jesus gives to his disciples is really in context of his now being the vindicated Savior and Lord and resurrected Son of God, the third person of the Trinity. Jesus gives this blessing as one who now has authority, who is the vindicated victor over sin and death, and that he is indeed God himself. We could say that this is a blessed vindication. Luke's other accounts of the ascension in Acts is very helpful here. We read in Acts 1 that as the disciples were looking on, he was lifted up, and what covers him? A cloud. A cloud took him out of their sight. And it's pretty unanimous amongst plenty of New Testament scholars that this isn't just an ordinary cumulonimbus cloud that's covering Jesus, that's just blocking him from the eyes of the disciples. But that this is what is called the Shekinah glory of God, a manifestation of God's presence, the very presence of God himself. This is a sight of victory and of vindication as Christ ascends into glory to sit at the right hand of the Father. Christ himself promised his own vindication at his own trial. We're told in Luke that uh, the question uh, was asked of him, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. 
And if I ask you, you will not answer. But listen to this. What does Jesus say to them? But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of power of God. Matthew's gospel in chapter 26 says this. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The very fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, where we read, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Even the, the uh, like I mentioned before, the, the absolute destruction and tribulation of Jerusalem in 70 AD was a sign pointing to the vindication of the ascension of Jesus. Listen to these words of Matthew 24. After describing the tribulation and the desolation of the temple and the city's destruction, we read, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. In other words, when Jesus points out to the city of Jerusalem and says, This will be destroyed one day, you will know that I am the Son of God. This is the vindicated Savior who pronounces blessing upon his people. Love how one theologian describes this vindication of Jesus. He says, Jesus was convicted and put to death for making an offensive claim. But the ascension shows that the claim was true and that the execution was unjust. The claim of sonship was not rejected by the Father. Rather, the Son was received to the Father's side. The ascension is testimony to Jesus' mediatorial authority. Jesus blessed his disciples while he was on earth for one last time, before his return, that is. But he continues to bless you today. And he does this by his mediation on your behalf before the Father. His intercessory ministry when you sin. The fact that he prays for you. What a blessing that is. He most certainly cares for you today as he did his disciples all those years ago. So what is the response to this? Verses 52 through 53 tell us the disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So we see this threefold act of worship, expressing joy, and blessing or thanksgiving to God. The disciples would return to Jerusalem, the place where Uh, as the book of Acts depicts, is going to be a very dangerous location for these men, where they would be, uh, much antagonism would be up against them and their message. 
But this is where their ministry is to begin, in this city, where they would be clothed with power on high, as Jesus promised them. And here they worship God with great joy, but understand why they do so. Just imagine the past 40 days that they've just experienced. The past 40 days spent with the resurrected Son of God, the one who met them, the very ones who fled from him in the time of his passion, comes to them and says, peace to you. He breaks bread with them. He opens their minds to understand the entirety of the scriptures that speak of him and his work and uh, about his role in God's plan of salvation. He promises them that they would be clothed on high with power of the Holy Spirit, who's going to equip and enable them to carry out this great commission to the nations, spreading the good news of salvation in Jesus. On top of that, being blessed by their Lord as he ascends into glory, being witnesses of God's glory as he's taken into heaven. What an incredible past 40 days that would have been. How could you not worship with great joy? Daryl Bach, commentator on Luke, he's careful to point out that there has been a key shift here in the disciples' appreciation of Jesus. Scripture, Jesus' word, and heaven's testimony have led to a deepening awareness of Jesus, and it leads them to joyful worship. There's a popular saying in Reformed theology circles that goes something like this, doctrine leads to doxology. What does that mean? Good theology knowing the Bible, studying it very well and very carefully, and hearing its message will lead to proper worship. The two are almost inseparable. The gratitude we express upon learning about God, his mighty works of redemption, about his Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of God's elect people, the acknowledgement of the Spirit's indwelling us, it culminates in this worship of the triune God. What is the chief and highest end of man? To glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. We rejoice with the disciples in this pure doctrine of good news, of gospel, as it's faithfully proclaimed by God's faithfully appointed ministers. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life, In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is to be praised for all the blessings that are given to us in Jesus Christ. Look at where this worship then takes place. The disciples were continually in the temple blessing God. You can think of us here today as the church, extension of Christ's body, the temple, as we congregate together in joyful worship. 
If you were to do a full survey of the Gospel of Luke, you would notice this. The Gospel of Luke ends where it begins, in the temple. From the prophecies foretelling of the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, a promise from God given in the temple, to these disciples now worshiping together in the temple, waiting for another promise to come to fruition from God, from the Holy Spirit, from the ascended Lord. And in Luke's gospel, it's just kind of open-ended from there, unless you read his other work of the Acts of the Apostles. Assess where you are today. Do you remember, reflect upon the ascension? Do you remember the blessings of Christ who said, interestingly enough, that it was better that he was gone so that the Holy Spirit would come? Does the remembrance of blessings in Christ lead you to worship, to joy, to blessing God? Some of you may have come to worship this morning with eager anticipation to worship the triune God with a joyful heart and a joyful noise before the Lord, and to remember the ascension in this way and marvel in it. Some of you have struggled where to look, wrestled with fear, with doubts that God is working in you indeed, that he even cares for you. If only we could see Jesus in the flesh, you may think to yourself, but he has ascended. And because of what he is doing for you in his ascension, you do not want him anywhere else. For he is the one who said peace to you and then left. But as he was leaving, he was blessing. And as he reigns at God's right hand, you can rejoice along with the, uh, the disciples long ago in the knowledge that the vindicated Lord Jesus who died rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, died for sins, cares for you, extends grace and mercy to you, and he intercedes for you as your mediator before the Father. In his ascension, Jesus sees you, he cares for you, and he loves you. In Christ's benediction, he commends you to the care of his Father, in whose hands you are most assuredly safe, no matter what you are going through. All we are left to do is to give thanks and blessing. The disciples wait in Jerusalem. They're about to experience something mighty. They're going to be clothed on high with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim a message that has been shared for the past 2,000 years. Here on the other side of the cross in this way, we don't wait. We participate now in this glorious message of redemption with the power of the Spirit indwelling us and are equipped to share it as well and to worship God as we do so. Remember the ascension this morning. Remember Christ's blessing to you. And remember, because of him, the victorious king, he is worthy of all worship, joy, and blessing. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray together.
Father God, we remember the ascension this morning. We thank you for the risen Lord, for your Son, who died for sins, who rose on the third day, ministered for 40, and ascended to sit at your right hand. We thank you for his blessing, for his words that speak to us even today, and for his intercession for us. Bring this to mind, dear Lord, by um, the careful study of your word this week and by engaging with others around us in this glorious gospel truth. Bless us in all of these things, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.